0: You can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The feed hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. For some reason, you know, we thrive on the pain, and so why Garrett... Why in the world would you ever think,
1: I want to ride a bull this weekend? (laughs) (laughs) Man, it's a good question. Well, I, I mean, there is a story behind that one. There's something that's appealing to challenging ourselves, to pushing the limits, to finding what our limits are, because when you do that, you find that we're more capable than most of us are even aware of.
0: The Range Podcast is brought to you by Vapor Trail Archery, makers of the best bowstrings money can buy, originators of limb driven arrow rest technology, and innovators of stokerized stabilizer systems. Welcome to The Range, everybody. I'm your host, Ricky Brulli, and today you all have the pleasure of meeting a man who is partially responsible for my obsession with shooting a bow. What's unique about this episode is that we both grew up within probably less than a mile of one another. And here, some 30 years later, we're discussing our passions on the range podcast. He's a Minnesota native who now resides in Colorado. Garrett Rock thrives on adventure, more often than not with the hope of flinging an arrow at a mountain dwelling creature. To learn more about Garrett, be sure to look him up on Facebook and on Instagram at Garrett Rock five. That's at Garrett Rock and the number five. Thank you all for joining us today. You can also find the video version of this episode on our Vapor Trail YouTube channel. So please head on over, subscribe, give us a like, and hit that bell so you can be up to date on all things archery. Don't forget to follow us at the Range Podcast on Instagram and Facebook, as well as Vapor Trail Archery and Stokerized Stabilizers on all of our social media channels. Hey, Garrett, what's up, man? Thanks for gracing us with your presence today. How are you?
1: I'm doing great. Happy to be here. Happy to reconnect. Yeah, man. Happy to have memories just flying through my head of where we grew up and family and all that stuff. Right, so, right. Yeah. yeah, this should be fun. Real quick, just
0: tell our audience a little bit about yourself, your family, your career, just kind of, you know, whatever you want, whatever you want to
1: talk about in regards to that. Yeah, so I grew up in northern Minnesota, same hometown as you, Ricky, and, and uh, I found myself uh, after grad school chiropractor by trade, um, sports scientist as well, and now run a or co-run a, a healthcare company that's in several states. But um, live in Colorado, got to the mountains as quickly as I could in uh, 2006 it was my first chance to move here, 2005, and uh, got here. And right now uh, we live in Steamboat Springs, which is mountain town most famous or most well known for its skiing um and i don't know just enjoying life here yeah that's great that's awesome yeah i i
0: i honestly cannot believe i still live in minnesota for the record i mean not that i i love it here you know but just for as much as i love the mountains and
1: yeah mine was so my family used to do a road trip every year these would be marathon road trips you had all four kids crammed in the back seat of a station <laughs> wagon, and and uh, you know God, we hit uh, a lot of different areas of the U.S. But the Colorado one, I I think I was ten, and it was I mean the first moment that I laid eyes on you know the mountains, there was just there was no other direction in life for me. And um, after that, <laughs> yeah, you know, a couple of years ago, I got my hands on a bin of keepsakes that my parents had kept upstairs and you look at all the drawings and stories and everything, you know, in grade school through high school, everything that, that was some form of art or attempt at a form of art was just, you know, mountains. So, yeah.
0: Yeah. And that's awesome. It's befitting too. You know, it it seems, you can tell, you know, for anybody that heads over to your channels and and kind of takes a look at the experiences that you've had, you can tell that it's, Mm -hmm. you're in your element for sure
1: yeah you know it's where i'm at my best it's where creativity pours out of me and and you know uh where that's sort of i can get easily sort of claustrophobic i think in in tight settings meaning cities etc and mm-hmm. and uh gosh you know for career for just work being a father husband um you know if i get my mountain time all as well yeah if i don't then start unraveling pretty quickly i think (laughs) yeah yeah i I think my wife
0: could attest to that too she would probably agree (laughs) that if i don't she can tell when i need to get some some time either in a tree or or up in the boundary waters or something like that so um just real quick what is what is the origin story in regards to you becoming a a bow hunter i'm I'm just curious about how
1: that all started yeah um you know my dad i think i was Five years old is what I remember. So my dad bought a bow, my uncle, Lynn. you may remember, well, you know, Adam. Yeah. Um, the Hanson's and, uh, so my dad bought a bow from Lynn. They built some tree stands that probably weighed 90 pounds were made (laughs) out of straight, just steel and wood. And, (laughs) um, and we, you know, they had four kids, they were pretty young with four kids and so. You know, for him to be able to hunt, he had to bring the boy out to the tree stand, I think. And so, um, you know, what I remember is the first hunt is, you know, he just, there wasn't a tree stand for me. He was a big, you know, crotch of a tree and he plopped me in there and said, don't move. And um, it was either that hunt or another one when he shot his first whitetail and it was just a little button buck. Butt. And there was something about that experience that just sucked me in and so uh after that if you look you know my history my 4-h project the next year was how to shoot a bow um probably the only person in the history of 4-h to get a uh, white ribbon <laughs> typically you know it's like a slap in the face <laughs> oh, <you no>. <laughs> it, was a, it was such a bad project but um but i was proud of it and after that that was just i don't know Bow hunting just became the thing that I think about way too much. Can't get off my mind. And you know, it's a distraction from everything that people would call meaningful living to me. Right. Yeah. And I think you can probably relate. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Absolutely.
0: I'm I'm just gonna jump right in and and kinda I wanna tell this story, you know, about how this conversation came to be. Um, and Garrett, feel free to interject at any point if you want. Uh but so, as you said before, we, we grew up in the same little town of Crookston, Minnesota, surrounded by nothing but cornfields and beets, right? Like, uh, you know, the beet plant was there, and every once in a while it would give off a, an odoriferous uh, mist across the city where, you know, you'd catch a whiff of it every once in a while. That was always nice. <laughs> and I think we had, you know, we probably had some mutual friends. I believe you were a class ahead of me, right? Were you 97? 97. yeah, 97. Yeah. And I was 98. Uh, you know, we had what I, you know, looking back on it, I'm just like, you know, we, we had different social circles and it's just funny because I feel like we could have been like best friends in high school. Right. Just because of what our background is now and what we, you know, what we love to do. Um, but, and you probably know too, that I'm also really good buddies with your cousins, Aaron and Anthony Munn. Yeah. Over the years, Aaron would always tell me, he'd say, you know, oh man, you should really reach out to, to Garrett, you know, you guys have a lot of the same interests, and I always had good intentions, and then, you know, life takes over, and, and that's just kind of how it goes, but, so I want to go back to 1996 when I bought my first bow, I've talked about this a little bit on some previous podcasts, and uh, but and I can't remember if it was either Aaron or Anthony. I, I don't recall um, how it is that I came to find out that your dad um, was selling that bow. And, but I very distinctly remember walking up to the door, knocking on the front door, and your dad just had this glowing bow in his hand. It was just, you know, the, the angels came out and the you know the, the sun was shining directly on the bow. It was the only thing I could see. And uh, I, I don't even remember if I really looked at it in detail much, like not the way that I would now, you know, before buying a bow. Uh, but I, I just remember handing on the cash and just instantly hightailing it home and, and immediately starting to fling some arrows. I just jammed some cardboard into a box and started shooting immediately. <laughs> uh, and so that's kind of where uh, that all kind of took off for me. I, you know, I've been hooked ever since. And it turns out that when you and I started talking, I didn't know this at the time. But it turns out that that bow uh, used to be yours. Which um, you know, hopefully we can. Hopefully I can get that uh, senior photo from you where you you've got the bow there out in front of you. That'd be that'd be fun to show all of our uh, all of our viewers uh, the photo of that. But um, and I've actually got the bow sitting right here too uh, in the studio. I probably can't get wide enough here to see it, but. PSC PSC Polaris. I'm not exactly sure what year it is. Maybe you know. I don't know, but
1: um. no. <laughs> All I remember is I saved up for that thing. You know, that was my first bow that I bought for myself, and and uh, shot. Gosh, I'm thinking, well. That was my first year, but yeah, no. That bow meant everything to me. Yep. <laughs> So cool. It's my start too.
0: Yeah. Just the, just the story, you know, I, I was just, I'm like, this is a story that has to be told, you know? And, um, and, uh, so really, I guess kind of how it came about too is, uh, you know, so now we're like 30 years later and, you know, we, you know, our social circles in, you know, kind of intertwined because of, because we're both into hunting and, and all of that. And, uh, one day I was uh, just scrolling through Instagram, I think, and I saw that Sicky Gear had posted uh, one of Bianca Germain's photos on their story, and I, I'm like, man, that guy looks kind of familiar, you know. But I thought, ah, what are the chances, you know? Didn't think much of it, just kind of kept going. And then I don't know if it was a day or, you know, that same day or a day later or something. And I was on Facebook now, and I had seen that you had posted the same photo on your story, and I was like no way you know so immediately I had to I responded or I sent you a message uh on that story and had kind of you know said something about how I bought my first bow from your dad and now here I am still in archery industry and then that's how the conversation kind of started to go and so now here we are we're we're on the we're having a conversation on the range podcast we're talking about archery and our outdoor passion so um yeah
1: you know what came to mind was when you sent the photo. Of the bow was like it's like that Frosty the Snowman song. You know there must have been some magic in that old silk cat. Like yep. whoever this bow is, it uh, it instills such a passion that you know it, it influences your life. So yeah, be careful touching that Polaris bow, Ricky. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, whoever
0: whoever gets it, you know I don't know. We'll see. Maybe my daughter <laughs> will shoot it or something. But um, it'll be hard for me to part with it, you know. It's it's just funny how I've gone through so many bows since then, you know, um, two dozen at least, and it's the one that I'll always hang on to. And I I like what a lot of people do with their older bows is they kind of convert them over to like a bow fishing rig or something like that. And so I did just that, and I was uh, I was bow fishing with it for a while. I'll put some photos up of some uh, some carp that I shot with it. Um, but yeah, just uh, just an amazing. It just, I just think it's so cool that just that inanimate object, you know what I mean? The, just what it can do and, and how it can, you know, kind of uh, develop relationships and, and all that kind of stuff. So really, really cool. Yeah, it's yeah, It's probably harmed
1: my relationship with my dad now. I think he pocketed that money. <laughs> yeah, that was
0: going to be the next question that I was going to ask you, actually, if you ever had a chance to talk to him about that.
1: I I asked him if he remembered mm-hmm. and uh, he really didn't though.
0: Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Oh shoot. I don't remember all the bows I sold, but I, re- but I think most people remember the first one they bought. Right. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. so I can understand sure. that. So, but yeah, so folks, if you were to go check out Garrett's Instagram and Facebook pages, you'll see that he thrives on unique experiences uh, that really test, you know, the homeostasis of the human body, so to speak. And Most people, I think they see the beautiful views, but they don't often understand the pains uh, of getting there. And I have this conversation often um, with a lot of people, but I want to get your take on embracing the suck, basically. Because for some reason, you know, we thrive on the pain. And so why, Garrett, why in the world would you ever think, I want to ride a bull this weekend? We'll be right back. Hollywood here. New for the 2023 archery season is our brand new online arrow customizer. Build your victory or Easton arrows with multiple vein options, configurations, and custom arrow wraps in a large array of designs and colors. Spine indexing and expedited build options are also available so you can get back out in the field and flinging in style. Check out the Vapor Trail arrow customizer at www.vaportrailarchery.com forward slash arrow
1: customizer.
0: <laughs> oh, man
1: <laughs> i it's a good question well i i mean there is a story behind that one there's something that's appealing to challenging ourselves to pushing the limits to finding what our limits are because when you do that you find that we're more capable than most of us are even aware of and and i've found that true in my own life that that um, it's really empowering for me number one number two i'm just pretty high on the introverted spectrum. And I have to have that alone time. Um, That's where, you know, the ideas come out that, you know, have driven my career that, but the bull one is funny because, so for some years, uh, I can't remember how old I was when I did it, maybe 36, 37. And I'd had these comfortable years, you know, career was getting comfortable and I just hadn't faced fear in a while. And, and that's almost scary to me. If I don't, you know, face some sort of fear, uh, that it, it feels like I'm going backwards in life. And and so I was thinking, you know, what's on my bucket list? I'm kind of a bucket list person, and and what's on there that I haven't done that just will scare the living, you know, out of me. And uh, bull riding was still on my yellow piece of paper, <laughs> and so I did a bull riding camp, um, and. Uh, I don't know for those of you that haven't done it, uh, if you want to feel fear, I'm not sure that I've ever felt fear like that in my <laughs> life. <laughs> the sort of fear that makes you black out in the middle of the process. and um, But it also, I would mean, come out of it a stronger person. I mean, A, injured, hurting. and and uh, But it's just, uh, what a cool experience. So, yeah, I I don't know what drives it. I mean, part of it is... Is that just wanting to find out what the limits are? Um, part of it is there's just always been something that appeals to me. That's that you know in sort of physical endeavors, and maybe it's because I often say I feel like I'm mentally obese. You know, and I have to really like <laughs> dive into work for a few days, which mm-hmm. happens all the time. Um, you know, I come out of it just feeling like like a really out of shape person that just walked up you know, the Eiffel Tower stairs or something, I think it's really exhausting to me. But but so where I can find some sort of satisfaction or, or reward to an effort is not in the uh, thinking-related activities, but in the, the physical, so,
0: yeah. Yeah, well said. And I love that, the, the thought of, or the saying where you feel mentally obese, right? Like it, <laughs> because... I get that you know it, it's a little bit different paths you know I mean as far as our careers go but with you know with me and being tethered to technology all the time with my career and all that you know it, it just it gets it gets to be exhausting sometimes you know and especially with the kids you know they they really love the devices right and so kind of trying to balance things out and, and, and trying to get outside and do do some of that stuff and so, uh, so yeah I hear that I um, that's, because of that I often you know the last couple of years I've spent a, a week uh, solo up in the boundary waters and it's just it's just so amazing and sometimes it's almost the the silence can sometimes even be deafening you know because you're just like this is like holy man this is it's just it's amazing it's incredible and, you, and those experiences you know you always you come back a, a
1: different person too you know to that note you know in Alaska I've I've done quite a few trips to Alaska, most of them for hunting, but backcountry skiing as well. They're really cool, boat-based backcountry ski trip up there. And and you know, you get out there, you get dropped off. And I'm sure many of your listeners have been up there. And the way the first two days have gone for me every year is I I feel like I'm hearing ATVs all around me. And I've got a good friend who lives up there and and every time I mention that, he's, you know, his response is that's impossible. You're crazy. <laughs> and then after about forty-eight hours, that noise disappears, and you realize that that's just like, you know, it's what we're accustomed to. is this ambient noise of busyness of things of engines of people, and and then you you experience true silence, and it's a it's a pretty rewarding and. You know, freeing experience. I mean, and to see where your mind goes, you think, ah, oh, when I'm up there, I've got things for work that I need to think about and solve for. You get in that silence and nothing matters other than what's happening at the moment. And that's a pretty cool feeling. Definitely. And, and I
0: can honestly say that some of my greatest ideas or, you know, motivations have come from just having the ability to kind of turn it off and, and just think without distraction you know, and um, so, yeah, I would say a lot of, you know, just a lot of the progress I think in my life comes from, comes from that, because it just helps you have that kind of aha moment, right? Yeah. So, I wanted to get into uh, your bighorn sheep hunt that you did during the pandemic, and I saw that um, back in 2021, uh, you wrote a great storyteller piece about your Colorado bighorn sheep hunt uh, titled, There is Nothing I'd Rather Be Doing. And, I, you know, you couldn't have said it better, and, you know, that would certainly ring true for me as well if my, if my daughter hadn't been born in August of that same year. But you quoted Jack O'Connor, and I wanted to read this for context because it, it just kind of floored me. I hadn't heard this one before, and it, uh, it's a, he said, A sportsman's may have hunted deer, turkey, elk, and bears for years with the greatest of success, but until he has taken his sheep, until he has matched his brains, his endurance, and his skills with those inhabitants of the Rocky Peaks, he is still but a sophomore, and I just, I was like, whoa, okay, you know, because at this age, I had all but basically given up on the likelihood that I would ever hunt sheep uh, until I read that quote, and now, and even having conversations with Jason Madsinger, and you know, just all of that kind of stuff, I'm just like, man, that would be really cool, but I just, I, it's never going to happen, you know. And so, uh, you know, it's just like, how, how can someone spend all this time and effort into honing the skill set and then, you know, go out a sophomore, right? I can't do that, you know? So then I went down this rabbit hole and immediately began to research what I need to start doing uh, to go on, a, on an adventure like that. So I'm, I'm just I'm curious, you know, because the application process can be really confusing, Um, and especially for non-residents. So how does, uh, the application process work for bighorn sheep in Colorado? And how many points did you have before you drew the coveted tag
1: that you got? Yeah. So the application is you've got what are called weighted points and then you have, you know, you're in a lottery. And so in Colorado, you have to get to three points and then, you know, you start to hit, you know, basically points that are weighted and um you can draw at any point in there i believe it's been a while since i reviewed this but um you know it for cheap you know general rule of thumb is it's going to take a long time Mm -hmm. um but there are some things that you can do to reduce that time and i was somebody who benefited from you know uh, having an idea of what those things are and and Those things are, you can be willing to embrace the suck. I mean, that's what it is. And so you have units where they're accessible. You know, you can be glassing sheep from the road and shoot one from not far from the road. Um, and then you have units that are later in the season that are, you know, like where I was, I was deep in the San Juan mountains. Second sheep season. I mean, you have to be pretty mountain competent or confident, maybe not, I I mean, yeah, feel like you're competent, um, to be willing to, to grab that tag, especially if it's going to be a once or, you know, at most twice in a lifetime thing. Um, and so for me, I mean, fitness is huge. I spend my life in the mountains. Um, and I've spent, you know, many, 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 many nights in some pretty bad situations in the mountains. And so I'm comfortable taking the risk of having a tag in which, you know, there could be some serious discomfort. The other thing that with the San Juan's they're super remote. And so you're gonna put some miles and I'm to remember what our total elevation gain on that hunt was, but over twelve days, it was absurd. I mean the physical effort was was real. And you know, I came back pretty skinny fella and I'm <laughs> you know that's skinny anyway but (laughs) um yeah so so drawing the tag i drew it in seven years because um what we had had was a run of some bad weather during that season um people running into bad luck and this is how i got a mountain goat tag in five years is is uh you know there was a unit where nobody had shot a late season mountain goat in like Two years, I believe it was. And so nobody's putting in for that take because you know nobody's having success. And if you're just looking at the spreadsheets as somebody who doesn't kind of understand the behavior of people, and and that's my job in healthcare. I, you know, I my job is to study human behavior and how I've applied it to hunting is where is everybody looking? And then if you're willing, if you're fit. And willing to go through the suck, you know what can I do to increase my odds of drawing? And so, uh, yeah, I drew drew sheep with seven, drew uh, Mount Go with five, by just going into the zones and in the seasons where, you know, it could really not be fun. But but then again, it's always fun. It's you know, there's no place I'd rather be. It's I said that.
0: so I encourage folks to go over and, and, uh, and read that piece. It's a, it's a, it's a wonderful story. Photos were all, I believe taken by, uh, Bianca Germain, correct? Yeah. And, uh, and she's, a, she's an amazing photographer. I've we been, um, trying to see if I can't get her on, on the podcast, but going back to your hunt, um, out there, you know, as I was reading and, you know, again, it's, there's something that draws, draws me to the struggles, you know, cause it's it a tough hunt for you out there and anybody I imagine, yep. you know, and, uh, and, you know, as I was kind of doing my research, you know, they're saying that, you know, archery tags are more, are more readily available than rifle tags. You know, you have a greater chance of getting one. I think there's, I thought I read that there's a little over 300, uh, Uh, bighorn sheep tags awarded each year and I think maybe 10% of those go to non-residents and if I remember the the odds it's it was somewhere around like 1 in 1800 or something like that Um, so you know again but you know they say that you can't get it if you don't apply so and well right now I've been applying for points in Colorado for the last couple of years but I've never grabbed the the bighorn application because it's a hundred bucks but I might need to start doing that now because, you know, cause I just, I basically just go in and I buy my small game license because you first have to have some sort of hunting license before you can apply. And then after that, it's, I think it's like nine or 10 bucks per species. So then I just apply for all of them, except for the ones that are a hundred bucks each. <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah. Yeah. You know, that. There's a, the sheep nuts will say a sheep hunt will do one of two things. It'll make you never want to Set foot in those mountains again um or it's going to suck you in and you know for me i i didn't realize just what it a spectacular and amazing life experience a sheep hunt could be and would be until i had one and so at 100 bucks if you draw is worth it and if you don't now i I, my tune has changed it's worth a try Mm. it's worth the effort <laughs> yeah, and if anything, it goes—you know—the
0: money goes back into conservation, right? So, um, I so I imagine based on on what you just said, you would you definitely do it again. I imagine you're still you're applying to go again.
1: Oh, that's all I all I think about now. Is <laughs> how do I get to a, you know Alaska for dull and you know this place and uh, uh for Stone and desert and yeah, no, I, I about once a month I I look online and see if anybody's giving away a take for free or you know, <laughs> a little less money but yeah if i went and spent the amount that it costs uh, i'm pretty sure my my wife would have something to say about it <laughs> right <laughs> these are some expensive steaks that are going to be yeah.
0: on the table right yeah um yeah. but yeah i i just i'm like so drawn to it now and I just, i'm like man I, i'm i'm kind of bummed out that i hadn't uh, you know kind of taking the plunge earlier yeah. on uh, but you know I'll start throwing in there and and see what happens but and good job too congrats on on having success as well you know it just again with the story and and how it goes it's if it if it would have been easy this the story wouldn't be as intriguing either you know what I mean and yeah. I, we've talked about that a lot with some of our other guests it's just I've had opportunities like day one day two on a hunt and, um, and I filled my mule deer tag one year in South Dakota on like the second day. And, uh, luckily I was out there with a buddy and so he had a tag too. And so we got to spend the remainder of the time we we're out there helping him get one, which is fun too. It's, it's fun to be able to run around in the woods and not have to carry your bow with you everywhere you're going and, um, film and take pictures and do all that stuff so that, you know, even just, you know, just being out there is, is amazing uh, but still you know so much of the story is in the struggle and the things that you have to deal with and go through uh, in order to have success right and and success is different for everybody right so even if you hadn't filled that tag you know most likely still probably a success uh, in losing weight anyway right
1: <laughs> yeah you know that hunt had this it's just stories within stories in that that experience um, and you know, probably one of the more interesting ones is, is Bianca Germain. So she had, you know, she had been doing a lot of photography in the backcountry skiing world and some of the other outdoor, you know, environments. But uh, the year before, she had won Sitka's, um, uh, their photo contest. Diverge. And Diverge, yep. Yeah. And, um, and so they basically, you know, Said, all right, you have a, you sh- you get a hunt, you know, go do a hunt, shoot it, and then that's kind of a tryout, and this was the hunt that, oh, okay. that she chose. I knew her from the backcountry skiing world oh, and sure. mutual friend, and and uh, uh, I think it was day three, four. We had been in some gorgeous country, put in some big physical efforts. She had amazing photos in her camera when launching down the mountain and everything just blew up and SD card disappeared. Um, and I mean, the SD card to find it in the middle of a mountain that had then been sliding, um, you know, wasn't possible, but, uh, I found it. And somehow, some way, and it's a crazy story. It'd be too long to share how I found it, but it, it drills down to where it's like all the rocks converge down and we're just sliding and I was just, sliding my hand through there and the rocks would slide down and this thing somehow surfaced up and you know now she's one of the most prominent photographers and in, in hunting and had she not passed a tryout, you know you never know she she's a fighter she would have found her way through but For sure yeah um
0: yeah it's kind of a fun story within a story
1: that's really cool
0: i do i do remember reading um I feel like she had posted something not too long ago, maybe a couple of months ago about it. I, th- I thought I had read about it, but I didn't realize that it was on this, on this same hunt. So that's pretty wild. Yeah. And as a hunter,
1: I was just, are we going to spend time, you know, dealing with the camera? Like I've got a sheep to go find, you know? Yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> But pay attention to karma always. And that's why I remember being like, Ooh, this is my test, right? The world saying, you know, are you going to be selfish or are you going to, work for the greater good here and uh, it all, all paid off in the end.
0: <laughs> you had opened up the article talking about, you know, just it being a strange time with COVID mm-hmm. and all of that kind of stuff. And, you know, in, in the archery world here too, as far as like manufacturing, uh, I've been with Vapor Trail for probably 15 years up to that point. And we always thrived on and took pride in the fact that we were probably the fastest producer of bow strings in the industry and it wasn't just half the year it was year round for you know we had a three-day guarantee and rarely would we even get past two days when we would ship and that year was the first year that we went beyond three days and it wasn't just three days at some point I believe we were over 20 days behind and you know again just so many people being cooped up not able to do the things that they normally do and and just getting into um more outdoors type sports and you know I know like shooting sports and archery just exploded it just went nuts and so we we got inundated with orders and uh so you had made mention um about the trailheads and So, you know, I mean, I, I, you know, I feel like I can speak for us both in that we, you know, take pride in having the skills and the gear to go, you know, deep in for multiple days on end, you know, to go on these life altering adventures with some truly amazing people. But, you know, how hard was it to see the masses of people at the trailheads during that time? Um,
1: I mean, how do you be PC here? You know, it's, uh. You know, when you're somebody who just wants to get away and experience some freedom, and you, know, you show up anywhere, and it just felt like there were people all over. Um, you know, and I'm not—I don't often follow the trails, but still, is like, you know, in that area, that's an area that just notoriously is quiet and remote. And you get out on these ridges, and you look around, and there's just people around. It was—it uh, was crazy, and so. It really affected that hunt in a big way, where the sheep typically were. And I have a, a good friend down there, and he knows a, all those sheep pretty well for that area um, and the sheep behaviors. And they just weren't weren't where they should be. They were they were in you know what we were calling hell holes and caves and the worst, least accessible places um, that you can imagine. And um you know that was just assumingly influenced by the people but but even if we have a had a cabin at that time up by Fairplay, colorado which is a pretty quiet area and you know, there's these trailheads where you take your dog or kid go for a jog and and uh that you never saw anybody at and you you were parking a half mile away from the trailhead i mean it was that significant out here and I'm, I'm not being dramatic i remember taking my take my daughter she was what three at the time to do a 14er and of course she's on the back for most of it but uh, that is uh, we had to park two miles away from the yeah. trailhead wow yeah i mean it's just <laughs> nuts but yeah i mean that i guess the uh more optimistic or maybe less pessimistic person would say look how many people got out to enjoy the outdoors but i didn't love it i can tell you that yeah right. asked <laughs> yes, me how i felt right. yeah yeah no i mean and, it, and again
0: it, you know i've i've come to find out too just like you that i'm i'm introverted and having to get out and and get away you know guys like us can probably you know we can get way way out there you know further than probably most people would want to Um, just simply because of the dangers of it if you're not skilled enough or anything like that but did you did you see like a an increase of maybe hunters way back in some of those areas where you
1: normally wouldn't see anyone yeah here yeah that's a good question and so what pops to mind is this vision of this person walking on a ridge that is back in an area where I've elk hunted uh, for years and um, just an amazing area and I've never seen anybody, had never seen a soul back there in, you know, probably seven years of hunting that area because it's just terrible to get to. Um, You know, out here in Colorado, you know, a lot of ultra runners and and it was the fit crowd that seemed to get, you know, sucked into this idea of archery hunting um, during that time. And so there were just, you know, I mean, they can get back there too um you know they're they're my friends you know I have my friends that you know, were just ultra runners before now are archery hunters and um, and so it just you know areas where the elk were going to get away because they just didn't expect to see a human now you had folks, more people that were back there and then just less experienced hunters and so you know making mistakes like you know ridgelining, you know, right at peak hours and and such. And so it it did seem to really, it influenced the animals, um, you know, from what I saw, from what I've heard. And, uh, you know, it influenced my experience hunting, you know, for sure. I I was just used to not having to compete with certain areas. (laughs) Yeah. And it's,
0: so on that hunt, I mean, it seems like there was so much stacked against you. You know, you had the wildfires, so you had smoke from that. You had... Like you said the the sheep were a lot more skittish I I found it interesting what you had said in here about how they're more concerned about like human traffic than than most other things and so that's obviously the fact that you guys had to get deeper in there and your buddy who um you know says he had been hunting sheep for the better part of 20 years and it was the worst he'd ever seen so the the odds were most certainly stacked against you and you still made it happen and you know it's funny because I was you know, going through uh, you know your Facebook. I was looking at that post you did um, where you rolled the bull, rode the bowl. and a lot of people had commented and they were they were calling you doc. And so up until this very episode i I, I wasn't one hundred percent certain what your career path was. And so I wasn't sure if they were calling you that because you know, you graduated from being a sophomore in hunting to having a PhD in hunting after this (laughs) hunt, or, you know, and now I come to realize
1: it's probably more likely because of your profession, but. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Nobody would give me that amount of credit in the hunting world. I don't think (laughs) competitive environment. (laughs) Yeah. And to go back
0: to that too, I think it's so cool that you did that with the bull. I didn't, uh, I, I just, yeah, that's, that's wild. And I don't know, you know, I do some crazy stuff where, well, maybe I shouldn't call it crazy, but there's just things that other people say, man, you're nuts for you know, doing something like that. But I, I don't think any of that equates to getting on a bull. And then, and I think you, you did it like you you rode four times, didn't
1: you? Yeah. They did a weekend camp and it's, it's for people that want to make a career out of it, but I was a fantasy camper and uh um yeah, it, we got on, Four bowls that weekend, and yeah, there it was a lot of fun. But, but you know, it's successful. Like you can sign up, you can do it tomorrow, Ricky, and you're just gonna get yelled at a lot by the coaches. They're not. (laughs) There's no. You don't get to be soft in that environment. You don't get to pause when they say get on that. You know, bleeping bowl. Oh yeah. You get on the bowl, and when they open the shoot, they're not concerned about your safety they're more concerned about the bull's safety because that bull has got a brighter future in that in that <laughs> arena I than suppose. I did so <laughs> I suppose oh that's funny so you know, it's just I mean it's good for a person to be you know yeah humbled right and uh that was a good humbling experience face fears you know personal growth yeah yeah I love it man and i <laughs> side story to that the reason I chose that year was was uh our daughter was going to be born in the next month and um so we were meeting our insurance deductible and so I figured there's no better time you know don't have a 5,000 deductible anymore and yeah you get hurt and it's covered yeah <laughs> perfect
0: that's how you just time yeah. it perfect that's all you got to do yeah, yeah for sure yeah that's so cool Real quick, too. One thing that I started to do, and because we've got a lot of uh, people that follow us that are that are target shooters, and so if, maybe if they're interested in getting into bow hunting, or if they're you know something like that, I'm just curious. What is your best piece of advice that you have in regards to bow hunting?
1: Yeah, you know, I I, I drift two directions. You know, one is just the the bow hunting experience. Bow hunting's tough and you know i'm a western hunter and so you know this is spot and stock animals are on the move and um you know for example like the bull i shot this year the elk um you know it took six days and like the amount of the number of miles that i had to cover to finally get on this particular bull that had 47 cows with them um you know it was it was a lot and so as far as the bow hunting experience, like the, the you know, personal um, advice would be, get fit, get good gear, and and become competent in the outdoors. That doesn't mean you have to go in the mountains, but it means that, you know, you have to know what to do when a rainstorm or a thunderstorm comes in, when it snows, when you thought it was gonna be 60 degrees, or when it's 60 degrees, during the day and then at night drops down to 10. And, um, you know, and, and so those are those three things. As far as archery, you know, it's just, I, I think of with the products like, you know, paper trail that you guys make, you know, in the bows nowadays, I mean, compared to that PSE Polaris, you know, <laughs> I think probably maxed out at about 30 yards and, you know, probably. shooting, yeah, yeah all mm-hmm. that. 60 70 yards is is completely reasonable Mm -hmm. but you gotta shoot you gotta put the time in and and do it all year long and then things like bow tuning i mean tuning to broadheads i mean that's get dialed in and just shoot 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 Mm -hmm. you know yeah and that's i mean that's what i do it's i mean it's meditation for those of us that can't actually meditate like go out and shoot and um it's a pretty fun thing to do so yeah that'd be it and i know that that's soft advice but um you know pretty vague and catch all but it matters you know yeah get out there and then you're going to fine tune what works for you because it's such an individualized you know sport there are technique you know principles but you know like how i look when i draw a bow back might look a little different than you and but if you shoot enough, you drift in and techniques that just, you know, match your movements and such. So, yeah, I don't know. That's what comes to mind.
0: Yeah, no, that's, that's great advice. And, you know, I've done, I've probably spent half of my bow hunting career doing, uh, you know, Metro hunts and I coordinated some for a while and it, it got to a point where, you know, cause we, we get a lot of new hunters that come in because they, they don't have a lot of opportunity. They don't have land that they can go hunt. And public land in Minnesota is really tough to hunt uh, just because it's so overpopulated. And so, you know, this creates opportunities, you know, for hunters. And it's amazing how, you know, I I think the YouTube world, you know, it's good, but then at the same time with some specialized things, it can can really be not a good thing. And so I've seen some interesting things where, you know, we started to actually do broadhead um, proficiency testing so with these hunts we always have them you know they have to pass a proficiency test they have to get so many arrows within a you know five or eight inch circle depending on how close in proximity they are to you know structures and stuff and so we started actually doing broadhead testing as well um, just because we, we would have a lot of wounded deer that we would be tracking and the plus of that is we all, as coordinators, got really good at tracking deer, so that's a good thing. But at the same time, it, it was astonishing to me how many people didn't realize that you have to practice with your broadheads because your point of impact, not always necessarily going to change, but often it does. And, and we would have, I would say, typically, you know, 20 to 30 percent of the shooters in that test would fail, Um, and you know, we'd give them an opportunity to, to come back and try it again. But again, that's, that's, and that, that probably equated to how many wounded deer we would have too, you know? So, uh, so it's great advice to me and what you're saying about, you know, making sure you're practicing with your broadheads and not only that, but just practicing. I mean, even some of these guys, they would, uh, there's something about it. Even when you're shooting in front of a group of guys and you're, and you have to take a test, even for me. Like, my heart rate starts to go up a little bit. I start getting a little bit nervous, you know, and, and that's what we want because shooting in your backyard is not the same as when that animal gets in front of you. It's a totally different ball game, you know, and maybe you can relate, but I don't, I would say, you know, most of the time after I've shot, after I've let that arrow go towards an animal, if I had the, if, if I wasn't in the moment and had the opportunity to think back on my process, I don't think I'd remember what, I don't know if I, I'm not sure if I even looked, did I look through my peep? I don't know. I'm not sure. <laughs> you know, because you're, yeah. you're relying so much on, you know, your muscle memory and from the shooting and everything, which is, that's good, you know, but again, you know, there, there's been a hand, there's been a few situations where I've really, I, I've had that moment where you're like, okay, I got plenty of time here I don't need to rush this, you know, and you get an opportunity to kind of calm the nerves and stuff like that. But, um, but yeah, it's, so I, I don't downplay that at all. I think that's, I, I think that's great advice. I don't, I wouldn't say it's soft because there's a lot of new hunters out there that don't know stuff like that.
1: Well, to go on that, it's, um, you know, in the West year shot, you might get a split second. I mean, that's, um, you know, again, like the bull this year, like, Literally had from seeing it to getting an arrow out at 58 yards, like probably six seconds, you know? And and so when I think about practice, the more you shoot, the more you're prepared for those circumstances. Whereas, you know, we like to envision this. I'm going to pull up the range finder and die on my side and do this, that, like. You know, when you're mountain hunting and, you know, and these animals are running all over the place or not running, but walking, they're just never sitting still. You know, it's hard to predict. You know, it's not like where, you know, I grew up whitetail hunting and I used to stick a stick out there at 20 yards and, you know, put some dough and heat on there and, you know, (laughs) I hope that the buck just comes right there. And yeah, but, but even as a kid, one of the games I would play in the back of the Munn's backyard, me and Anthony, um, is we take our arrows, stand at the target and just chuck them all over the place, wherever they landed, you had to shoot from. And so you had to get used to, you know, estimating the yardage and all that. So yeah, when I think of practicing, it's, it's not just going in controlled situation. It's like practice, brushing a shot, practice, you know, throwing an arrow out and wherever it lands shooting from. And yeah.
0: Did you, now, did you hunt with Anthony in Crookston? Did you guys hunt
1: together? Yeah. We used to hunt in the convent all the time. We'd ride our bike there with our bows hanging and ride through town. <laughs>
0: yeah, Kids. That's cool. I was just going to ask if you had hunted back there with him because he had mentioned that. And
1: Yeah, he was so passionate about it. Yeah, we spent a lot of hours riding our bikes to the woods. And then he had uh, his tree stand that he had set up. One area, I had mine in another area and just you know, meet up after dark and ride home. Their house was the first house I went to after I shot my first deer. I uh, went straight to their house and went to grab Anthony. <laughs> so, because I
0: think he said that he got one when he was out there too once, I think. or Is that right? Yeah. Well, awesome, man. Thanks again for being uh, on the show. I, I really appreciate it. It's been great to talk with you. And You know, it's so funny too because it's one of the things that I really love about this podcast the most is that it sometimes it's hard to find time to make those phone calls and, and, and have these types of conversations. And that's what I love about the podcast. Cause it's like, you know, it gives me this opportunity to have these conversations with people and they always end up being so much more meaningful than, than I intended. So thank you for, you know, sharing your story and, and sharing everything about, you know, what you're up to and what you have going on. I really appreciate
1: that. Yeah. I, I appreciate just this experience and we just touched on, I mean, areas of life that just would have, would have gone by without me reliving them. And, and it's funny. I mean, we've been one person removed, uh, you know, I've done a bunch of hunts for Sitka and last year, Matthews Hoyt, um, some other companies. And, and then you start to look and ricky's always just one person away from the folks that you know i've met through some of those experiences so uh it's good to connect here
0: yeah for sure well thanks again well folks that brings us to the end of this episode you can find us at the range podcast on instagram and on facebook also be sure to head over to the vapor trail and stokerize social channels give us a follow over there again please be sure to head to our vapor trail youtube channel if you like the video, hit that thumbs up button and make sure to subscribe so you can be up to date on all things archery. And if you're listening, do me a huge favor, uh, get over to iTunes or over to Spotify and make certain sure that you give us five stars. Uh, also, don't forget, be sure to head over to Garrett's uh, social media channels. He's GarrettRock5 on Instagram and then just GarrettRock on, on Facebook. Um, get over there, check him out, give him some love. And with that, we are going to pack up our bows and we're going to hit the range. Have a great day, everybody. Vaportrail is now offering an exclusive discount to the range podcast listeners. Enter promo code TRP15, that's T-R-P-15, at checkout for 15% off VTX bowstrings and Vapor Trail and Stokerize branded t-shirts, hats, and other gear.